Tonight's passage is from the Gospel according to John, chapter 19, verses 6 through 16. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, Do you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good evening, and once again, welcome. My name is Jason, one of the pastors here at Grace Downtown, and we are so glad that you are worshiping with us this evening. We are continuing in this series that we are going through in the fall called Searching for Answers, Encounters with Jesus, where we are taking a look in God's Word with uh, historical events where real people just like you and me have encounters with Jesus, God in the flesh. And our sincere desire and our prayer is that tonight uh, you would have an encounter with Jesus. Not just that we would see people's encounters with Jesus that lived 2,000 years ago, but that you would have an encounter with Jesus yourself. That's our desire and our prayer tonight. Shows like The Crown and Downton Abbey capture us in a very unique way. Uh, My wife and I are now watching Downton Abbey. I know it's like so old news, but uh, we're watching it now. And I can vividly remember a few years ago when a few staff members who will remain nameless were watching through the series and they would talk about it around the water cooler in the church office. And I was just sitting there thinking, man, I don't know. You guys... They were watching it every Sunday night religiously, and then Monday morning they would all talk about it, and it was mainly three guys that were talking about it, and they were like, it's so nuanced, and it's this commentary on class struggle in the 19th century, and, and I was just like, but there's football on. Like, what are you guys doing? So then Dolly watched the first episode, and she said, I think you would really like this show. I watched the first episode and I said, it's so nuanced. It's like this class commentary. I got hooked on it. It's a well-made show, but there's something deeper going on there with uh, shows like Downton Abbey or currently The Crown that's going on. We're drawn to things that are royal. 
I think there's a couple of different reasons. Um, kind of as modern Westerners, we see things like that, things that are royal, lots of pomp and circumstance, and we kind of are like, this is so weird. Like, how do societies run this way? And we kind of like view it from afar as you do an animal in the zoo, like, oh, this is such, so strange and so foreign to us. But I think there's actually something deeper going on there. We have this attraction to that which is royal. We have an attraction to the thought of what is kingly. We have uh, an attraction to royalty and authority and crowns and thorns and, or thrones. And we're just drawn to those things in this deep, profound way. I believe that it's because in our lives, even though we don't think about it in these terms, we either desire to be king to be queen of our life, to rule over our own lives, or we desire to align ourselves with something that is powerful. And we find that in royalty. In this passage in John 19 and also in John 18 tonight, we will see four people's encounter with Jesus. We will see religious people as they have an encounter with Jesus. We will see a politician named Pilate as he has an encounter with Jesus. We will see a violent rebel. And in it, we will also have our own encounter with Jesus. Would you pray with me as we open God's word tonight? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to hear from you. Uh, Thank you, God, that you have spoken to us. Thank you that you have not remained silent, but you've spoken. You've revealed yourself to us. And tonight, we want to see who you are. We want to hear from you. God, I pray that we truly would have an encounter with you, God. I pray that we would have an encounter with the living Christ. I pray that your spirit would fill these words that I am about to speak and give them far more power than I could ever give them. Would you open up our minds and our ears to hear and understand what you say? Would you help our hearts to believe what we hear? Would you give us hands and feet ready to obey you? Would you give us love one for another that we can share over a meal? And ultimately, we pray that Christ would be glorified and that we would see him face to face tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've not already done so, open up to John 18 and 19. We'll spend a little bit of time in both. I'd like to start by just giving a summary of what Andrew read for us, verses 6 through 16 of chapter 19, just to acquaint us with what's going on here. Obviously, this is the trial of Jesus. Maybe you've heard this passage preached around Lent and Easter time. Um, But tonight we're seeing these different encounters with Jesus at the trial of Jesus. Jesus, though he lived a perfect life and was innocent, and he was not guilty of any crime against man or God, he was put on trial. And he was ultimately put to death. There were two reasons. The first reason that he was put to death is God's good purposes in offering atonement for the sins of man, which we'll get to that a little later on. But first I want to talk about the earthly reasons that Jesus was put to death. Jesus was put to death because he was seen as a threat. Because among the Jewish people, he was a blasphemer. He claimed to be God. As we saw in the passage, he, they give him the accusation that he made himself the son of God. He claimed to be the son of God. And he not only claimed to be king, 
He claimed to be the king, the promised king that the Old Testament for generations had promised would come. The king of all kings, the Messiah who would deliver his people. And not only deliver his people, but deliver them from their sins. He claimed to be that king. And the Jews saw him as a blasphemer. He was a threat to the Jews. He did not look like the king that they thought that they were waiting for. See, because Jesus didn't come and give great speeches about overthrowing the government. Jesus didn't come and talk about a political revolution. He didn't come and say, this is how all of our physical lives are going to be changed instantly by a revolt or by living a zealot life. No, Jesus came and he preached about the kingdom. And he was a threat to their religious order. They didn't think Jesus could offer them anything as the kind of king he claimed to be. He was also a threat to men like Pilate. He was a threat to a man like Pilate who we know from scripture, but also from history, from recorded history from the first century, that Pilate was an opportunist. He wanted to please everyone. And that's how he tried to govern his area, was to please everyone. And so Jesus was a threat, not to Pilate personally. In fact, we're going to look in just a minute. Pilate keeps trying to get out of this deal. He doesn't want to have anything to do with this. And it's because Pilate wants to keep the peace. He wants the Jews to be happy. We'll see that he even wants his wife to be happy in the situation. He wants the crowd to be happy. He wants everybody to be happy in the situation. He is ultimately trying to do what is politically and personally expedient for him. So Jesus is a threat to that order. Jesus is a threat to the control that he has over the Jewish people and to to order and civility. In 19, verse 5 of John, John 19, 5, when right before this passage that Andrew read for us tonight, Pilate puts forward Jesus and he says, behold this man. But in the original language, we actually read that he says something more like, behold this poor man. He has Jesus flogged and beaten and he thinks, okay, now that surely will suffice. We, we, gave him a punishment that will make the Jews happy, and I can do without having to crucify him. Because see, the book of Luke tells us that even Pilate's wife had a dream, and in the dream, God communicated to her, have nothing to do with this Jesus. Wipe your hands clean of this. So Pilate is trying to get out of it. He's trying to just flog Jesus and send him on his way to please the Jews. In Matthew, we read, Pilate saw in the whole matter, in the trial, that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning. So he took water and he washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. Pilate is trying to keep everyone happy. So Jesus is a threat to that. The Jewish people are a threat to that. So, He's a threat to the religious order. He's a threat to the Jewish people. He's a threat to Pilate. So what do we learn in John 18 and 19 about this trial and these encounters with Jesus? A few things in summary. First, we see the hand of God at work. Look with me at John 18, 
verses 28 through 32. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early in the morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show what kind of death he was going to die. We see in this and so many other details in this story, but in the entire story of Jesus' life, that God's hand is a part of every moment of Jesus' arrest, trial, death, the whole thing, even the kind of death that he would die. So we see these different parties and the, the different threats that Jesus is to them, and they seem like they are acting in their own interest, but in the end, it's so the purposes of God would be fulfilled. We see, once again, as we have in each of these encounters with Jesus, the material world and the spiritual world. Jesus talks about the spiritual world, but mankind, as they encounter Jesus, is more likely to see what is going on in a material level. Let's continue to read in John 18, verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might be, not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. So, again, Jesus is talking at a spiritual level. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. But this does nothing but confuse Pilate about who Jesus is, about the purpose of the Jews. So once again, we see in this encounter with Jesus, he is speaking on a spiritual level, but Pilate, And the others, the Jews, are seeing things from a very material perspective. And we do the same, as we'll talk about here in a moment. Third, Pilate offers a trade. Continue in John 18, verse 39. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. So as we read through here, we see that Pilate offers up a trade. He, he wants to appease the Jews. Again, he, he wants to honor his wife's dream. He feels like through this conversation with Jesus that Jesus is not guilty of what he's being accused of, or at least Pilate doesn't care what the Jews are bringing in their accusations against him. And so he offers up a criminal. It says here, a robber. But if we read all four gospels, all four accounts of this man Barabbas, we read that he is a robber. He is a thief, and he is an insurrectionist. He wants to overthrow Rome. He wants to overthrow the authority. He is a man of mayhem. 
And Pilate says, let's offer this guy up. Let's crucify this guy. This guy is guilty where I see no guilt in this Jesus. Continue in chapter 19. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to him, Behold this poor man. The last piece of summary I want to point out here is that the Jews did not see Jesus as their king. Though they needed a better king, they did not want Jesus as their king. Though they needed someone to help them overcome, though the Jews once again are a marginalized people, they see Jesus and they see he can't offer us what we think we really need. This has echoes of the Old Testament when the Jews demanded that God give them a king. But 1 Samuel 8, 18, we read, And in that day you will cry out because of the king you have asked for, whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. The Jews thought they needed a certain kind of king, but God tells them he will rule and reign over you. Be careful what you wish for. Here, generations later, the Jews are staring face to face with the king of all kings who would sit on an eternal throne, and they say, he can't do anything for us. In this story, we find four encounters, three in the Bible, and then we'll talk about our encounter with Jesus today. The first encounter, the first person that we need to talk about is Pilate. Like so many politicians, Pilate tried to be king. There's a couple different ways to be king. You can be king by ruling and reigning and telling everybody how it's going to be and ruling with an iron fist, or you can be Pilate who tries to make everyone happy, who sees that there's a limit to their control, a limit to their authority, so they go about doing whatever is politically expedient. That's what we see in Pilate. That's a lot of what politics ends up becoming. Politics are man's attempt to subdue the chaos that we see in our world, in our communities, and in our hearts. We all have different flavors of politics or political systems that we have a bent towards, but ultimately they are after some of the same things. Trying to bring about order amongst the chaos that we find in our world. We've learned in the last year that our allegiances to our favorite flavor of politics or our politicians can lead us to some very crazy places. And that's on both sides of the aisle. Politicians and politics are a grab for any power that we can try to hold on, whether we are making the rules or voting for the people making the rules. And we see this in Pilate. We either want control in our lives or we want to align ourselves with the group that will give us the most control. And we are willing to do just about anything to do so. 
That's where we hear phrases like, I'm going to hold my nose and vote, or I'm going to vote for the lesser of two evils. These phrases come from the fact that we're like, well, I don't really like my candidate or I don't really like this party, but they look like they will accomplish my purposes or my flavor of political system. All of these arguments are meant at getting or maintaining power through politics or trying to make everyone happy at the same time and it just doesn't work. Pilate knows he can't be a good king. Pilate needs a better king. And it doesn't come from trying to make everyone happy. The second encounter we see is with the Jews, the religious people, the chosen people of God, who take Jesus and put him up for trial as a blasphemer. Like so many religious people, They say they have no true king, or they say God is our king. But when they stare God face to face, they say, ah, he can't really do anything for me. And so they give him up, even to the point of death. There's two pieces of unbelievable irony, for lack of a better term, in this passage that we are reading today. Look with me at John 18. 28. Then they led Jesus, the Jews, that's the they, the Jews, led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but they could eat the Passover. The Jews are so concerned with cleanliness and eating the Passover and looking forward to the coming Messiah that they won't enter the governor's house. They are so concerned with maintaining outside cleanliness, they don't even see their opportunity to be made clean. This is classic religious activity. How do I clean up the outside of my life and we miss what really defiles us? It is apparently raining. Still. We see this as well in John 19, verses 14 through 16. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, behold your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered them over to them to be crucified. What day was it? The day of preparation for the Passover. The Passover, which was a reminder of God's deliverance in the past. And it was also a look forward to how God would deliver his people from their sins. They have just prepared the Passover feast in the morning. They take a break midday to prepare Jesus for his death. They think that Jesus is a blasphemer and they are acting on behalf of God. So they offer him up to be crucified. They don't know what really makes them clean. 
They rejected Jesus as king because they thought that he couldn't do anything for them or their physical situation. Lastly, as far as the Bible goes, the encounter that Barabbas has with Jesus. Once again, Barabbas was guilty of murder, theft, insurrection. An insurrectionist hates the king, the government, the established order. He is for anarchy and mayhem. This is what Barabbas was for. Barabbas deserved death. He deserved death according to the Romans. He would have deserved death according to the Jews. He deserved anything that was coming to him in his time. He deserved to die a sinner's death. Barabbas deserved exactly what Jesus ended up getting. Jesus, though he was truly the king, dies a sinner's death in Barabbas' place. Jesus, who knew no sin, Jesus, who was innocent. Jesus, who always did the will of the Father. Jesus, who never sinned against mankind. Jesus is the one who dies a sinner's death. Jesus is the one that takes Barabbas' place. And he who is guilty goes free, and he who is out without sin is put to death. And in so doing, Jesus not only saves Barabbas, but he gives you and I the opportunity to be made truly clean and have a better king. Because when Jesus died, he didn't just take Barabbas' place. He took your place and my place. Jesus took everything that was ours, our sin, our rebellion, the mayhem that we find in our own heart, our own desire to be king. He took all of that and he gave us everything that is his. All of his innocence, all of the always doing the will of the Father, always glorifying God. He gives us all of that and he takes all of our sin. And so unbeknownst to the Jews, they are actually doing the will of God. The will and purposes of God are being accomplished. They are preparing the true Passover lamb, the true one that will be slain on our behalf, the true one that will take on their sin, and he will give them his righteousness. The silent hand of God is speaking very loudly at this moment, though some are missing it because they're looking for an earthly king. We, like that crowd who yelled, crucify him, bow to our man-made earthly kings and say, we have no king but the one of our choosing. We stare at the one true king face to face. We see him and we turn away and we say, I'm going to worship a king. I'm going to bow to a king of my choosing. Or even worse, I'm going to sit on the throne of my life. And we miss the opportunity to truly be made clean. We don't think about it this way, but if Jesus is not on the throne of our life, we are on the throne of our life. And we rule and we reign and we get everything that we ask for. And it's a mess. It's mayhem. 
if Jesus is not on the throne of our life, we only get for ourselves what we can produce with our own hands. And how's that going for you? It's not going great when I try to take the seat that Jesus has rightly earned. Jesus is a better king because he gives his life for the guilty. He takes everything that is his, everything that is God's, and he gives it to us, and he takes our sin upon himself. And three days later, he rose from the grave because he's not just king of the earth, he's king of heaven and earth. And one day, we will be with him in glory. Lastly, I want to talk about your encounter with Jesus. Today, you have come face to face with Jesus. And the truth of the matter is, we either want to be king or we, we want a king. We need authority and help, yet we don't find it in ourselves or the kings of this world. And so we rebel against the one true king and we are desperately in need of a savior. Jesus is that savior. Jesus is a better king and he offers you life today. If you are not in Christ, if he is not on the throne of your life, you came in here today with some heavy chains that you can't get rid of. Because of the world of suffering we live in and because of our own desire to be king and go our own way, we just keep taking on these heavy chains. And then we don't know why we can't be free, why we can't have joy, why we can't have peace, why we can't experience love. Jesus says, give me that weight. I will take that weight and you take life and forgiveness and redemption and freedom. That's his offer for you today. And he is a better king. It'll be up on the screen, but I'm going to conclude by reading from Revelation chapter 5. Jesus, when he came and lived on the earth, the Jews didn't want him to be their king because they thought they needed an earthly king. But Jesus didn't come the first time, fully man, fully God, to sit on a throne. But one day he will come back and he will sit on a throne as the king of all kings, as the Lord above. Let's look at what kind of king he is. Revelation 5, verses 2 through 9. This is the great heavenly throne room at the end of all things. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb 
standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes and the seven spirits of God sent to all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe tongue language people and nation this king is a lion and a lamb he is a lion when we need a king he is all-powerful when we need our enemies defeated he is a king that conquers sin the devil and death itself, but he is also the lamb who was slain. You need a lion to fight your battles, and you need a lamb slain on your behalf. Receive him as your better king today. Remove yourself or anything else off the throne of your life and give Jesus his rightful seat. A throne can only have one king. It's either you or Jesus. And he is a far better king. Would you take a moment and pray with me? I want to ask you to consider what the Lord has spoken, what his word, his spirit, his people have spoken here tonight. Just take a moment and have an encounter with Jesus. Think about all he has done for you. Think about the ways that you have tried to be king and failed. Consider Jesus, what he has done, offering you life, offering you redemption, offering you freedom when you nor anything else can offer it for yourself. Consider him today. Isaiah 53 says, And they made for him a grave with the wicked. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, they gave him a grave among the wicked. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him that he would bear all of our iniquities. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done. God, whether we are giving Jesus his rightful place on the throne for the first time or if we're just giving him his seat back, we pray that we would have an encounter with Jesus tonight. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done. Thank you for offering to take the burden of our sin and our suffering upon yourself and give us your righteous perfection and freedom. God, thank you that we don't have to be in this building to have an encounter with Jesus. We want to continue to encounter Jesus tonight, this week, this month, this year, and for the rest of our lives. And thank you, Jesus, that it does not depend on our effort to do so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A couple of um, quick notes in closing, and then I'll tell you how to get your food. Um, 
So in just a moment, we are going to have some pizza. We had planned to have a tailgate party. Nice night for it. Um, we talked through backup plans, and about midweek, we saw the forecast, and we're like, well, time for that backup plan. So uh, in just a moment, I'll give you some more info on that. But also wanted to let you know that you can expect an update on our COVID policies next week. As you've started to see, we've rolled a few things back, like name tags and things like that. That's not because we think COVID is over or anything like that, but we're wanting to take one step at a time. Um, as you know, not only in our society, but in this church families, there's different convictions about social distancing and masks and things like that. And we don't want to leave you just trying to figure it out on your own. We think that the most loving thing to do is give you as much clarity as we can on uh, what we're asking you to do and how to handle the different convictions and things like that. So we are um, in talks with the building. We're in talks with our elder team and you can expect an update next week. We're not going to make any massive changes without telling you. So you can expect uh, an announcement on that in service and in your weekly email next week and hopefully a few changes coming in November because um, we want to be as clear and loving as possible to, to each person here. And while that's impossible to do perfectly, we want to do the best we can. So we're working hard and, and praying through that um, on your behalf. So um, as far as the food goes, um, as soon as the service is over, we're going to do a, a couple of things if we can all work together to kind of put on this family meal. It's almost holidays time, you know, the whole family chips in and, and makes the meal happen. So um, if you could, a couple of things would be helpful. All the chairs in this section, we're going to go ahead and put away. So you can stack them on the carts in the back. These chairs, we can kind of just move to the sides and we're going to set up a few round tables. We'll spread them out as far as we can, give everyone some, some distance. But if you'd like to stick around, you can line up over here, grab your pizza and find a place to sit. We also have to-go containers. So if you feel more comfortable uh, not eating around people or inside, you can take some pizza to-go. Please do so. We have plenty of pizza. Take a whole pizza if you want. So there's plenty of pizza. Uh, so uh, you'll have options. You can take some pizza with you. You can sit here and eat it, whatever you would like to do. And if a few folks could help us head to the back and roll out some round tables, that would be fantastic. So if you could stand with me. We end each service on our feet because we want to communicate to God that we intend to obey him with our hands and feet. And we have the opportunity to do that before we even leave the building tonight. We want to obey him and we want to serve him and we want to show others the love we have received as we eat a meal together. It's a great way to kick off a new week. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for providing this food. We pray that it would give us strength and we would use that strength to honor and glorify you and serve one another. God, thank you for this church family. Thank you that we could be reminded of the good news of the gospel. God, remind us that we are your good news people. God, help us by your Spirit's power to be the most joyful people in our community this week. God, may we share the joy that we have in Christ and the good news of the gospel starting here in this room tonight. But as we go home, as we go into our week, whatever it may bring, we want to communicate the good news of the gospel in all we say and do. Thank you, Jesus, that you have good news for us and for the world. In your name we pray. Amen.